Welcome to Parkinson's Podcast number 10, Help with Parkinson's. Our guest today is Dr. Supermanian, Dr. Joe Malone from Hershey Medical Center. We have a special guest today. His name's Gil Friedman. He's a Parkinson's patient. And my name's Warren Butfinick. Welcome to our show. Thanks, Warren. Thank you. It's good to be here. Have to have Thank you. you. Thank you, Warren. Okay. And Gil, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm an 83-year-old white male uh, Parkinson's patient living in central Pennsylvania. I've been diagnosed about five years ago with uh, Parkinson's by Dr. Shaw here in the uh, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania area. My uh, background is that I'm a native of Harrisburg, although I've lived all over the country and done some foreign travel. Uh, I'm trained as an engineer with a bachelor and a master's in mechanical engineering. Years ago, I worked for NASA at the Manned Spacecraft Center working on the Apollo spacesuit. Since then, I've had a career in engineering. I'm retired, and now I'm active in environmental affairs, particularly water quality. Okay. Uh what we're curious about is what, what symptoms occurred to make you go seek out a neuro- neurologist? Sure. I had a tremor. And uh, complicating things is that I, I was sensitized to Parkinson's because Laura Friedman, my, my wife, had been diagnosed with it about two or four years earlier, four years earlier. And uh, so a tremor took me to the uh, to Dr. Shaw. He said it was familial tremor. However, uh, he said he could just tell by my movements that I had Parkinson's. Uh, my symptoms since then have been uh, my gait, awkward in the way I walk and move. Uh, I have micrographia that drives me crazy. This, the tiny printing that I can't even read when I try to read my own handwriting. I tire more quickly. And as you can hear, I have this hoarseness in my voice. I consider myself otherwise in pretty good health. Uh, I've always tried to be physical, act, physically active. And uh, how did you feel when you were first diagnosed with Parkinson's, the first minute you, get, you received the diagnosis? What, it, what went through your mind? It, it really didn't bother me at all because if I had some symptoms or I felt if you feel bad, you know, you're more convinced. But I really, I mean, scientifically, I believe the doctor, but uh, I, it really didn't sink in. It still doesn't as best I can, and I, I don't worry about that. Okay, did you uh, seek out a support group? Absolutely. Uh, there's a group on the East Shore the, uh, of Parkinson's patients, and, of course, their uh, caregivers are welcome. And uh, Laura and I currently co-chair the group of which uh, Warren is a member. It's a small group, but uh, we do find it's very useful. Uh, We don't cure the disease. We don't really treat symptoms, but comparing notes and laughing, just laughing at each other sometimes is good therapy. We have key speakers in like Dr. Sobranian and... uh, find that very useful. What's the most troubling 
things for yourself as an individual? What's the, what causes the most trouble? I, I think the awkwardness, it is beginning to interfere with, I, I do a lot of outdoors activities like fishing. And uh, I'm finding that I worry more about my footing. Yes, and the second probably is the uh, micrographia and not uh, having the commanding voice that I used to have. Sounds like a strange question, but it's really not. Are, are there any positive things in your life that you could say occur because you have Parkinson's? Well, I, I think uh, some of the friends that we have met is one thing. And uh, just, I, I've always been, when I was in flight training, I had friends that you'd have breakfast with and they'd be dead by noontime because of an accident. And it drove the point home that life can be very short. You may as well make the best of it you can. So that philosophy has carried me now into these days. And I think it's really, really helpful to have that attitude. What about, I know you mentioned fishing as a problem. Is there anything else that you can't do because of Parkinson's, not, not just hobbies, anything uh, in general life? Well, in that I tire more easily, uh, I'm beginning to limit the, the activities like going to meetings and that kind of thing, especially at night. And I want to mention that I don't know if it's related to Parkinson's, but my sleep habits are very strange. I'm getting up at 2 and 3 in the morning like Edison did, and trying to do productive work. Then I come back to bed for a half hour around 8 o'clock in the morning. So I don't feel bad, and so uh, I just try not to let it interfere with my life. Okay. Have you participated in any studies, things that you go to a, a hospital for where they do a study on you to help people learn about the disease? No, although uh, no, not research, but... I did participate in the uh, overnight EEG test in the sleep center at Penn State Hershey, which where I, they found that I had slight apnea, but just slight. Okay, and have you ever had trouble affording your medication? Yes, I'm beginning to. Not so much the Parkinson. Yes, the Parkinson medication. The the newer ones are, of course, outlandish. And I don't know what to, what's to be done about it. We're, we're real pleased with the generic drugs and what they cost us through our Part D provider. But once you get into the new stuff, you know, it's, it's, they're just out of reach. I did discontinue the ER version of the... Uh, the Requip or one of those drugs? I, yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Right. And then some other issues I have. I've discontinued the fancier, highly expensive light. One is $8 a day. And there was a generic that isn't quite as effective, and I've reverted to that. Uh, Parkinson's has changed quite a bit over the last 25 to 30 years. And personally for me, uh, when I started uh, my training and started to take care of Parkinson patients, there were very few drugs around and very few treatments around. So things have improved quite a bit since that time. And so one of the few pointed questions um, to you, Gil, would be, since your treatment 
has started for Parkinson's disease, have you considered getting a movement disorder opinion on what's the latest in terms of treatment? And have you sought uh, that kind of um, input? And if so, has that really helped you in any way? Well, we do get, we, Laura and I make confirming appointments to Johns Hopkins once a year. Mm-hmm. Basically, they say, they confirm that we have Parkinson's, but they don't give us, they just say, keep on going with the lifestyle we have. Interesting. So um, I would consider, um, given what you're saying, where you're having difficulties with micrographia, and also uh, with fatigue, that there may be other optimizations that could be done uh, to help with both of those things. Uh, and it might be worthwhile to seek another opinion where um, medications can be optimized. And the second part of the question was about the generics versus um, the uh, more expensive uh, drug forms. Again, um, I'm sure Warren can relate to this. Yes, the newer drugs are expensive, and yes, they are less affordable for most people. However, levodopa carbidopa continues to be the most effective anti-Parkinsonian medication. Despite all the discoveries that we have made, it still is the gold standard. It still provides the highest level of quality for most patients. And so if it's correctly administered, and it's taken as recommended every four hours while you're awake, it might actually be a very effective drug that can actually make people's lives um, much better. And it's really not that expensive at all compared to many of the other medications that people generally take. Um, It's been around for 70 plus years and is highly effective and can be administered very easily and tolerated well. The last question I have is regarding the sleep. Um, And this is a point that we have discussed in other podcasts, uh, but it's worthwhile talking about it. Uh, Good sleep in the night, seven to eight hours of continuous sleep, is absolutely cardinal for Parkinson's good health. And that's because uh, this is a time frame in which we produce the highest amount of dopamine in our body, what we call endogenous dopamine dopamine that our body produces without the help of any additional medications. Um, So if that is compromised, nocturnal sleep is compromised, you can make up for it by taking naps during the day. It simply doesn't work. Our body does not produce dopamine during daytime naps. Uh, No longer how how much of our time you take to take the naps. Even if you took a two-hour nap, it doesn't make up for lack of nocturnal sleep. So um, from what I could gather from what you said, obviously this will have to be looked into in more greater detail, but one thing I would recommend is to get a better sleep hygiene. Uh, Some of the things that you could do is, for example, set a fixed time to go to sleep and a fixed time to get up and try to force your body to go into that rhythm as opposed to going to sleep whenever you want and whenever you want to wake up and in between having disruptions in sleep. Uh, uninterrupted nocturnal sleep. And when I mean uninterrupted, doesn't mean that you can't go to the bathroom because most um, elderly folks have to get up to go to the bathroom maybe once or twice in the night, which is okay. 
but then they get back to the bed right away and go back to sleep. Um, but if they are disrupted sleep, which is more than half hour to 45 minutes each night, that could be a problem and that could play a role into having fatigue during the day, the next day. So there are solutions for these problems. And I'm sure, Warren, you may want to say more about it as a pharmacist. Right. It's hard enough to get people to pick up their prescriptions, let alone take their medication. You'd be amazed how many prescriptions go unfilled. Huh. And, uh, you know, if they get each a donut hole, all of a sudden they don't, they don't take any medicine for months. Then they, and right before the doctor's appointment, they'll start taking some. It's kind of a deceptive healthcare, but uh, they, I guess they just have no choice. Some people, once, once they reach a certain point on their prescription plan, they have to pay full price for a while. And that's, uh, that causes a lot of problems for people. I, I, I agree. I think it's a major issue. And, uh, so, so, Gil, come, come back to the, as a patient, what, what would be the first thing some, somebody gets diagnosed, let's say, Thursday morning, and Thursday afternoon they show up at a, at a meeting with you, at a, they seek out a, a support meeting. What, what would the first thing you tell them would be? I, I think it would be join a, listen to your doctor, do take your meds the way you're supposed to, join a support group, uh, make friends with people similar to you, have a positive outlook on life, Anything else, Laura? Seek out a movement disorder specialist. <laughs> yes. Okay, and, and if they say, I might as well just curl up and die right now because I've got no future, you can, we tell them that's not the case, right? That it's not right. the type of disease. It's a very slow-moving disease. And it's, you don't... You can say, what can't you do that you could do five hours ago. And yes, like you say, you're not going to curl up and die tomorrow. There's many years. We see fellow people at our meetings that have had Parkinson's for a long time. And yeah, they're going downhill, but it's so slow. If you're going to have a disease, a chronic disease, I think Parkinson's is a good one to have. Right. Right. It's, it's, not, it's not sudden. And so... The- if you right. learn to enjoy yourself and figure out how to have your life go as normal as possible, there's a lot more worse things to have. So can I ask uh, Gil a question, um, uh, Warren, about from um, your professional life as a, um, a flight uh, person for NASA, are there lessons besides the fact of life is being short? In your training, whatever you did as an engineer and you saw your colleagues, are there lessons from that that patients with Parkinson's can utilize, whether it be with physical activity or mental activity or any other kinds of things that from your professional life you think um, you gained that could be of use to people with Parkinson's? No, not, not, not really. The, the only thing is that my technical, my professional background has helped me get at the some of the understand the causes of Parkinson's better than maybe other laymen. But uh, other than that, I really, and what I've already, uh, you know, enumerated today, I can't add to that, Dr. Sue. Okay, what about Laura? What do you think, you know, from, from your experience um, 
in whatever you did when you were a younger person? Are they are there lessons from your uh, pre Parkinson's life that you brought in back that helped you tackle with the day to day burdens of the disease? Um, just keep going, keep exercising, keep moving. That's helped me along the way. And you know. One thing you haven't asked is, how come both of you have Parkinson's? The probability of that isn't very high. And uh, we, we both, I think in particular, we've had head trauma, for example, but not to the extent of a severe concussion or anything like that, like being hit in the eye socket with a baseball when I was in high school playing baseball. Uh, we're also... The first customers on the public water supply on the Conedogwinnet Creek here in Cumberland County. And you have to wonder, is there a common factor there in, in maybe the treatment or in the chemicals that are not extracted from the, the uh, drinking water? But I've looked at that fairly closely, and I can't say that there's any smoking gun or anything that would occur like that. Those are great thoughts. Uh, another question I had for Gil was, uh, can you talk a little bit about other members of the support group that have taught you about Parkinson's? Any new, new lessons you've gotten by meeting the people in the support group? Yes. Uh, one thing is it takes many forms. I see that in Laura. Her symptoms are different than mine. But having people with the uh, background like Warren here, a pharmacist, he has been just priceless in helping us understand uh, the, the drug field in, in, and its application and precautions. And other members of the group, they've just helped us to have a good attitude towards the disease. Great. Thanks for those answers. And uh, anything else you want to talk about, Gil? Anything personal? that you want to help, maybe help somebody else and listen to this, that newly diagnosed per- person, if they're, no. if, they're, if they're working every day, how important is it for them to really seek out a support group if it's going to be a difficult thing to do? Is it still worth it? Yes, it is. And uh, in terms of when the support groups meet, it's true. We meet during the day. So if you're working a regular daytime job, but, uh, I think the caregivers group, uh, East Shore, it meets in the evening. Does it not, Lord or Warren, do you know? So there's an alternative. And, you know, they say there's a caregivers group or ours is a uh, support group for Parkinson patients. But there's all kind of cross-participation. It really doesn't matter. We're all welcome either place. And, of course, there is the West Shore group, which might be a little closer for some people, although they do meet during the day. But they have an excellent program, too. So it's important to seek out somebody, yeah, whether, and, whether on the phone or a friend, make a new friend or get a recommendation to talk to some people. It's, you should do something, right? Right. And I, I do want to acknowledge the support that you get if you seek it out from, like, the American Parkinson's Disease Association, APDA, and other national associations. They like the uh, Michael J. Fox webinars. I think they really help us 
if if you can't cure it, at least you can understand it. Uh, so I would recommend sources like that. These are forms of support that are wonderful as well. Joe, do you have anything uh, to say or anything interesting you heard today? Well, sure. I just I like to thank Mr. Freeman for his time. It's it's been an honor listening to your experiences with Parkinson's disease, and I think that's something that uh, that has definitely enriched my knowledge of how the patient experiences the disease process. And it sounds like you've lived an extraordinary life. And it was a pleasure meeting you. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you, sir. And Dr. Sue, any, anything? Well, thanks Gil again for sharing and also Laura for sharing the time. Um, although we didn't do a formal introduction of Laura, she is clearly uh, the better half of uh, <laughs> Gil here. And uh, so we uh, want to thank both of them to come on the show and, uh, uh, you know, participate here so it's a real pleasure and an honor to have the two of you here and we hope to see you again in another show sure thank you Th- thank you dr sue for uh, and warren for initiating this series i think it's going to have national significance and prominence it's nice to say thank you <laughs>